This is Scott Becker with the Becker Business Leadership Podcast, also a special edition of the Business of Cannabis Podcast. We're joined by two colleagues, uh, Kate and Royce, and I'll let them introduce themselves in a second. Uh, Kate's a partner. Royce is, Royce is a leader as well. It will do a ton of work in the legal area of cannabis and pot. Kate, can you introduce yourself? Then I'll ask Royce to do so, and we'll ask a bunch of questions about the business of cannabis and some of the current issues, especially in the time of coronavirus. Sure. Great. And thanks, Scott, very much for having us on. My name is Kate Hardy. I'm a partner in the McGuire Woods Charlotte office. Uh, I started my career working in the healthcare industry. I was the emergency department administrator at MedStar Hospital Georgetown for quite a while. Uh, also spent some time working at insurance companies. Uh, I am currently now a regulatory and transactional lawyer. Uh, focus a good deal of my practice in the life sciences industry, both pharma and medical device. Uh, and now we are focusing quite a bit of our time on this emerging area of cannabis law. And I will let Royce introduce himself. Yeah, thanks, Scott, for letting us be on here. Um, I'm an associate at McGuire Woods. I focus mostly on the intersection of the Food, Drug, and Cosmetics Act, healthcare issues regulated by the Drug Enforcement Administration and the Federal Trade Commission. Prior to joining McGuire Woods, I was the FDA regulatory counsel for a pharmaceutical and dietary supplement company. And prior to that, I worked on human subject protection issues with human beings in clinical trials. So have a good background dealing with kind of areas in the life sciences industry. Well, thank you, Royce. And, and Thank you, Kate, for joining us. Um, I, I know both great lawyers and great perspectives, so I appreciate you being on very much. Royce or Kate, tell us a little bit about what's going on, the most interesting issues in the cannabis area. And then, Royce, after you go for a couple moments, I'm going to ask Kate a variation of that question related to cannabis and coronavirus and sort of what is, you know, anything new or different that's going on because of coronavirus. Has that caused a lot? Is it going to cause a lot of close down of these medical marijuana places? Is it going to goes on of the places that aren't medical marijuana, but why don't you start, Royce, and then I'm going to turn to Kate. Yeah, I think some of the, the more, you know, just the bigger trend of the fact that we're seeing cannabis becoming much more accepted in the United States, and we've seen that trend for a while now with, you know, Illinois going full recreational last year, start of this year. And, you know, growing acceptance of hemp programs at almost every single state in the country. And, you know, the ability for states to kind of curtail it to the way they want either medical, rec, hemp. And by hemp, I mean the growth of the cannabis plant that has a concentration be below 0.3% THC. And, and just the incredible variations allowed in this industry at the state level and what states are allowing and the fact that it's still continuing to grow and the momentum's continuing and states are actively trying to figure out, you know, what do we want our voters, you know, to have access to, what should we consider with our voters and, you know, the government's general permissibility to starting to consider these issues. Well, fascinating. Kate, let me ask you a question and, and it's, and, and I, you know, not to get off base, but, with so many more people at home right now for a couple of weeks, do you expect that pot smoking will go up tremendously over the next couple of weeks? I, I 
think so. I mean, I, I think an interesting aspect of that question, Scott, is, I mean, right now, as you probably know, hospitals, medical practices, everybody is just trying to figure out how do we manage the general patient population and coming in and protecting both the patients and the staff. Um, certainly in states where there is medical cannabis availability, um, it may be more difficult for patients to get in to um, see their physician if they need to, uh, access to dispensaries, given all of the various closings that are, you know, happening moment to moment in the states, um, may also present a little bit of a, a challenge for them. Um, and all this probably maybe same thing on the recreational side. It's really a challenging time to figure out, you know, what access to care um, including these types of products is really going to look like over the next couple of weeks. It, and, and let me ask you another question. There's so much talk about the respiratory side of this COVID-19 and how, you know, if your lungs are compromised, much greater risk. Any thoughts on sort of like extra caution and smoking anything or sharing anything in this sort of time of, you know, a respiratory ailment going around so strongly? I, I definitely think, um, People need to be careful, and certainly on that note, um, you know, sharing product that maybe one person has access to, particularly if it's in a smokable form, um, you might want to be extra careful about that. I mean, luckily, depending on the state that you're in, um, some folks do have access to these products in different forms, if it's a gummy or something like that. So that can also be extremely helpful. And Royce, I don't know if you have any other thoughts on the um, that aspect of the question. Yeah, I think because cannabis is not regulated by the Food and Drug Administration, except in the form of like Epidiolex or Marinol, you know, it's important to always remember that, you know, these products don't have safety and efficacy studies around them that if you are given, you know, an experimental antiviral or some other medication because you either need to prevent against or they're, they're, you're in a trial to try to you know, lessen the symptoms of COVID-19, you need to really consider the fact that there's no data out there that shows that cannabis is going to interact favorably with any of the, you know, antivirals out there on the market. So it's important to talk to your doctor and think about, you know, do I want to be utilizing this unapproved product that I got at my dispensary in conjunction with whatever the course of therapy the doctor has recommended I take. And I think healthcare providers are aware of that, but they should also keep in mind that none of these products have any FDA indications. They're not subject to safety, efficacy, good manufacturing practices. And it's just because of the illegal nature of them at the federal level. So that's such an interesting point because it seems like whenever you go into the dispensary and, you know, I'm not a regular pot smoker at all, never was, but don't judge it one bit or another. But when you go into a pot store or a cannabis store, we were in Colorado, we went into one, we looked at it, we saw, of course, et cetera, et cetera. And it seems like everything feels so much more regulated and so much clearer. It has this amount of milligrams, this amount of milligrams. What you're saying is really that even though that's the case, none of this is really being subject yet true FDA practices, true manufacturing practices, all those kinds of things, so that you really know what you're getting. You feel an illusion of greater safety than certainly buying it on the street. And you hear these horrible stories of people buying things on the street, then they're laced with X, or laced with Y. 
what you're saying really, because the FD isn't yet in this game, we don't really know at the store level, even though they look so legal and so safe, that it's actually what it says it is. Royce or Kate, any comments on that? Yeah, I, I think – oh, go ahead, please, Kate. Go ahead, Royce, and I'll jump in. I think Colorado has probably the best regulatory regime out there in terms of testing. I mean, you know, some of the tests at the state level may have some degree of reliability based on what the regulations are requiring, but, you know, it, it's not at the level where you have audits by the FDA. These products have not undergone the safety and efficacy studies to say that, okay, well, within the margin of error, of THC in here. Okay, this product says it has 90% THC, not that high, but 20% THC. You know, has that really been subject to a peer-reviewed clinical trial? Do we know that that percentage of THC has efficacy to it? Do we know that that exact strain of THC has, you know, any sort of adverse events related to it? There's, you know, hundreds of different kinds of marijuana strands out there. And it's although you may be getting some information on the label about the THC and CBD content, testing varies greatly. Um, whether or not that's done in a lab that's been ISO accredited or not, or if the state has regulations that mandate some cred credibility to the testing facility, you just don't know and you don't know if those things are being adhered to regularly because of the nature of the industry. Got it. So yeah. very, very different world. And Kate, you wanted to comment. Yes. Well, I mean, I, I think that's a perfect point, Scott, because that's where obviously there's a lot of frustration within the industry right now. It's, uh, the industry has moved way faster than FDA has been able to keep up with. And I think uh, they are trying very hard uh, to get some better guidance in place, but to the point of, you know, safety and knowing what you're getting and really being able to rely on what you're ingesting, um, that's where FDA has been kind of beating their fist and saying, you know, we, we need to be comfortable with this before we just let everything get out there on the market and consumers are perhaps slightly misguided as far as what they're, they're putting in their body. And, and, and let me ask you another question on that. I'm going to ask you what surprised you, and I'll tell you what surprised me so far. What has surprised me so far is that some of the states in, in, that have taxed this very heavily one of the things that's happened is the black market has continued to be where 80% plus of cannabis is sold. So thus far, the stats out of California are that 70, 80% plus of the cannabis being sold is still in the black market. And, and it seems to be a trend in some other states as well, which is sort of shocking once it was legalized, but I guess as you think through it, it makes sense. Kate, what kind of things have surprised you? And then Royce, I'll ask you to comment as well. You know, there's a couple things that have surprised us, um, and Royce is going to talk a little bit about um, one of the state programs in Georgia, which is, is taking a little bit of a turn from some of the other states with their low THC program. Um, other things that have surprised us, and this is a little bit off tangent, but for companies in the business, um, one of the big issues that everyone's trying to deal with is, um, to your point, Scott, the banking. Um, you know, this is a, a huge cash business. There's definite tax implications. Um, probably part of the reason that the, the black market is still out there is because it's just so difficult to deal with on the regular market, and in particular for businesses, because um, they can't always put their money in the bank. They they can't get 
loans um, if they need them. And, and we've seen actually even a lot of businesses that are tangential to the cannabis market, if it's involving trademark or even just equipment, um, banks have been, you know, very hesitant to to make loans or be involved or bank this money just because they've got their own set of regulations that they need to deal with. So still just a complete mess in terms of banking and so forth, which led it to being a lot of cash in a really screwed up situation in terms of accounting and stuff like that. Yep. Royce, you were going to comment there. Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, one of the in two interesting things, one, Georgia is taking the middle ground, which is right now in the U.S. you have kind of a couple options if you're a state. You can either allow hemp to be grown in your state, which is below 0.3% THC. You can allow a medical program, which is going to be full THC medical cannabis, or you can go full rec like Illinois. Georgia's kind of taken a different route, and Georgia said, look, we're going to allow the lawful grow of hemp in the state, but we're going to take this kind of middle ground between hemp and full medical cannabis, and we're going to allow for a low-level THC type of product to be grown in Georgia, which is, I think, going to be up to 5% THC content for medical patients within the state. Georgia's always had a, not always had, but it's had for a while a CBD program, uh, even before hemp was, even before the farm bill came about. But it's kind of this unique middle ground for a little bit more conservative states whose voting base may not like the idea of cannabis, which is you can have a lower version of a medical grade cannabis available for select patients within the state. So it's kind of this different route that Georgia is taking to thread the needle between full medical cannabis and hemp. And then the other concerns and trends we're seeing is just the, you know, varying interpretations of the federal bankruptcy code by district courts and how they deal with cannabis and ancillary businesses where the courts are coming down on, whether or not they're agreeing with the trustees' prohibition to handle bankruptcy issues related to cannabis, or if the district court, the bankruptcy court is saying, you know, this is permissible for varying reasons. We're going to allow this reorg of a cannabis ancillary business to happen um, just all over the place, and there's no unity amongst the bankruptcy courts at the district level. Got it. And another question is, CBD, like there's so many things today. You go to a wellness store, you go any place, and one of the big growth areas has been CBD is going to solve your problems. You go to the pet store, and I know you've got a dog, and they've got they're now selling hemp CBD stuff for dogs, and 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 you know you see all these vitamin stores selling millions of different things, none of which are approved by the FDA or at least signed off on as having the cure that the FDA says. That they, they is this all quackery or is there something real to this stuff? How do, you, how do you look at the CBD stuff that's being sold? I mean, is that a real legitimate business? Does it actually come from people, or is it just you know um, you know modern day quackery? What what's sort of going on with this? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. We know CBD does something at certain levels, you know, because of the approved drug Epidiolex out there, which is for a, a form of childhood neurological disorder, but, you know, a lot of the products out there are making very aggressive claims, and again, there's varying degrees of potency, efficacy, 
FDA has come out and did a, you know, a, basically a random sampling of the products and is like, you know, there's varying amounts of actual CBD content in these products. FDA has and routinely continues to enforce along with the Federal Trade Commission outlandish claims that some of these products have, such as they cure cancer, they prevent, you know, neurological disorders, things like that. And, you know, you kind of don't know what you're getting. Um, there probably is a world of efficacy out there with the CBD products, but because they're not generally recognized as safe by FDA, because they don't have drug approval to them, the studies have not been done with a lot of the products on the market right now. So you're essentially flipping a coin and whether or not you're going to get something that might have some benefit that you think you're, you're having that's more than a placebo effect versus something that really isn't benefiting you at all is not safe and um, could actually be harmful because there is some preliminary evidence out there that these products do interact with other drugs and FDA continues to warn of the black box warning on Epidiolex, which is for liver toxicity, which, you know, we don't know if that's something to be concerned with at the lower level CBD product. Got it. And, and so a lot of uncertainty still, even amongst the CBD stuff in terms of efficacy and safety and all those kinds of things in a facing developing world and things that are changing and, and, and going on. Kate, some of your thoughts, where does the industry go from here? Is it going to be sidelined a little bit like all industries by this coronavirus situation? Or is it going to be something where people are ultimately looking for more and more comfort and so recreational cannabis takes off? What, what's some of the thoughts on where the industry goes from here? I think this industry is slowed maybe just a little bit for the moment, not so much related to the coronavirus outbreak, but just as we've discussed, the laws and the regulations from banking and taxes and everything else needs to have a little bit of time to catch up. We also, you know, need to make sure to the other point that what people are taking is in fact safe and people do understand if there are going to be other interactions. I think the, the banking laws and the tax laws will catch up fairly quickly um, and that this industry will continue to grow and, and likely explode in, in all kinds of areas. So I, like I said, I think there's, there's a little bit of a pause right now across the board, but I do feel pretty certain that everything will catch up. Um, you can't deny what's out there right now from, you know, the medical cannabis all the way to the CBD. It just needs uh, a little bit better guardrails so that uh, the industry can effectively market and sell the products. So fascinating. Fascinating to hear your thoughts on it. Um, and, and to see sort of the industry sort of trying to find itself, figure out the right balance of it and stuff like that. We know it's a huge growth industry. Even if it's not a growth industry, it's a transition industry from black market to not black market. So we know it's a huge growth industry one way or another into a regulated market, but it's still a sort of a real mix of regulation here because on the federal side, it's still not legal and states, it's state by state. I mean, what a fascinating and evolving, um, interesting situation, huh, Kate? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it, it does change every day. Um, and we are tracking it day by day. And it's, it's a real exciting area um, of growth. And I think for a lot of states, they're also seeing uh, an upside in an economic 
an economic benefit um, to having these programs. Um, so I think there's a, a lot to come. And, and, and states need the money badly, we all know, so that it's uh, likely to move more and more towards legalization, like things we never thought would happen, like whatever thought lotteries would take up a huge part of state uh, budgets or be part of the revenue driver, um, you know, but just uh, trying to pay the bills through different kinds of vices, and it is what it is. Vice is an overstatement. I know people don't think of it as a vice, or maybe they don't, or things that were thought of as vices a long time ago like gambling and, and, and cannabis. Thank you. Royce, any final thoughts? Yeah, I think it's important for, you know, investors and, and clients to be mindful that although there's incredible amount of opportunity here, um, you know, a couple of points, uh, this industry is not for the lighthearted. Uh, if, if you're not used to risk and you're not used to uncertainty or operating in the gray, cannabis may not be the right spot for you. And then two, just because there is, a large amount of consumer demand for this and because everything is new growing very fast and some of the returns are high doesn't mean that the industry isn't without normal business risk or normal changes in consumer taste and preferences or could be subject to sometimes arbitrary government action that could greatly in fact you know impact your business so just keep in mind that there is still business risk in the midst of this gold rush no, thank you. And I would start to ask you, you mentioned different flavor preferences and stuff like that. It's probably beyond the scope of this podcast to ask you about yours and you know particular flavor preferences and so forth. We'll do that at a different time. Kate, any final thoughts from you? And then where, you know, then where can people learn more about both of you? Thanks. I, I think I would echo everything that, that Roy said. I mean, there's lots of opportunities, but um, there are, certainly risks you need to be aware of and, and need to be prepared for. And I do think even from the banking perspective, um, you know, banks are trying really hard to, to find ways to, to work with the industry. So, so we'll definitely get across the line. And it, as far as anybody who's looking to find information about myself or Royce, um, you can find us on the McGuire Woods website. And uh, we've got several articles um, that we have done on CBD and cannabis and investing, which folks can find uh, on the website as well. And we're, we're hoping to have our uh, second cannabis conference sometime in the fall, assuming that uh, the world writes itself with the, the current issues on the, the virus. What's your hope? So I appreciate Royce and Kate you joining us very, very much. We'll have to do a similar one of these around a webinar uh, focus uh, with McGuire Woods and so forth. But what a pleasure visiting with both of you. Thank you very much for sharing your thoughts and, um, you know, and information. Today. We appreciate it so much. Thank you. Thank you, Scott. Thank you for, Thanks. Having, us, Scott. Thanks for having us.